we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. I want you to open the Word of God with me, please, in the New Testament to the little book of 3 John, near the end of the New Testament. It's a book that doesn't get nearly enough attention, and we talk about John's gospel record, and we talk about 1 John a lot, and we love to preach the revelation of Jesus Christ, Uh, but the little epistles of 2 and 3 John are powerful. Uh, They're brief. They're personal letters. We still believe every word is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit which means that these letters may have been to someone else, but they were for us. God has a message for us on every page of Holy Scripture. And 3 John, I think, encapsulates the emphasis, the theme that we believe God has led us to for this year. And I, let me just say a personal word before we read the Scripture. Brother Hooks and I really prayed this year that God would guide us. We started last year talking about it, that God would guide us to the theme and the emphasis that He wanted made in this meeting. Now, this meeting is a little different because it's really not a how-to meeting. It's not about how to go back and make the church bigger or how to reach more people in your community. There's a lot of great meetings that emphasize that. But this meeting, is really about the inner man. It's it's about the part nobody sees, which, by the way, is the most important part. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And we got way too many days where we're ordering the public world and neglecting the private world. So this meeting is really all about going beneath the surface, and we believed that God wanted us this year to deal with the devotional life of the preacher. Not his preaching... Uh, not uh, organizing programs, not uh, leading a Sunday school campaign, but the devotional life of the minister and the devotional life of the preacher's wife because I really believe this. If I'm walking with God like I ought to be walking with God, everything else will flow and grow out of that. And I I just got to testify and tell you, there's been a lot of days that I didn't do that. Where I ran on force and flesh and fumes And uh, it was my energy and not the Lord. And I collapsed at the end of the day in bed and thought to myself, there had to be more to it than that. And the truth is, there was more. I just missed it. And so, this is the theme. If you'll write it down across the top of your paper, this is what we're going to begin with in this opening session. I want you to write down ministering out of a healthy soul. Ministering out of a healthy soul. The soul of man, the inner man, uh, the, the deepest part of man. And we could get in, of course, I believe spirit, soul, and body, and uh, the trichotomy of man corresponding to the image of God. And I believe, of course, that the spirit is the deepest part of man. But in your soul, that's where you think and feel and choose, and, and that's where you transact business every day. And if you can keep the soul healthy, everything else will grow out of that. Now, where does that come from? Well, look at Third John, beginning in verse number 1. John writes, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. We don't know who Gaius is. There actually are three men identified in Paul's writings as Gaius. So there's been some speculation he could be one of the same men, but he may not have been. This was a fairly familiar name in John's day. His name is Gaius. And John writes to him in verse 2 and says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Would you underline that phrase in your Bible? Even as thy soul prospereth. 
For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Let's just stop and take a survey. How many of you would like to do well? So John says, here's how you do well. Look at verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Now, he goes on beginning in verse number 9 to deal with two other men, Diotrephes and Demetrius. You want to talk about two fellows who are diametrically opposed. Diotrephes is a fellow who loved to have the preeminence, and you remember in Colossians 1.18, only one person is supposed to have the preeminence in the church, and that's Jesus. There's only one star in the gospel story, and that's Christ. Everybody else is just a servant of the main character. We're, we're supporting characters in the divine drama. Demetrius, on the other hand, is the positive example of someone uh, that was a good man and a godly man. And I've got to be honest with you, most of the time when I've heard people preach, teach, and talk about the characters in 3 John, they make a beeline for diatrophies because we're going to straighten diatrophies out. As a matter of fact, even now when I say diatrophies, many of you, somebody's name and face comes to your mind. Somebody's trying to get their way. They have their agenda. They, they want to be at the lead of the pack, and we want to fix diatrophies. But do you believe our God is a God of divine order? If God does all things decently and in order, I would point out to you that the first character under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that John spotlights is not Diotrephes, it is Gaius. And I love this truth. If all of us were more like Gaius, we would be less like Diotrephes. When the Lord has his rightful place in your life, you keep your rightful place in the church. You, you have the right view of you when you have the right view of God. Now, I don't know this to be, to be certain, but I think it's likely many Bible teachers believe that 2nd and 3rd John are twin epistles written at the same time to a woman and to a man that likely may have even been in the same local assembly. And I think that's a fascinating thought to see John sitting somewhere with pen and paper writing personal letters under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he writes one to a lady and one to a man. And I just want to say to you, we ought to remind all of us that if the church is going to be what it ought to be, then there has to be healthy, spiritually healthy men and spiritually healthy women helping to lead that. It's part of the reason in this, in this rest conference that we've said, bring your spouse because, look, I want to be right with God and I want my wife to be right with God, but we each have to be right with God for ourselves. And so whether you're the woman of 2 John or you're the man in 3 John, the bottom line is every one of us have to keep our soul where it ought to be. Here's the verse. Look at verse number 2. Beloved, I wish above all things... That thou mayest prosper and be in what? Circle that word in your Bible. That's physical health he's talking about. And at glance, you could look at that verse and say, oh, it sounds to me like John's preaching a health and wealth kind of gospel. I, I flipped on the TV earlier at the hotel to get the news, and there was a charismatic preacher on. And she was really putting it out there, let me tell you. I mean, she really was. It was powerful stuff. And I just thought to myself again how much of this health and wealth gospel is pervasive in American Christianity, which, by the way, is a long ways from Acts Christianity, a long ways. 
I'm not talking about a health and wealth gospel because the emphasis of the verse, you know, the key is usually found near the door. Sometimes it's near the front door and sometimes it's near the back door. But the key to this verse is found near the back door. Look at it, please. Even as thy soul prospereth. It it is an emphasis on the prosperity of the soul and the health of the soul. It is, if I might say it, an application of Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. As a matter of fact, if you study the prayers of Paul, it's very striking that he never prays in his prayers recorded in Scripture for physical health or material gain. Now read that very carefully. What he always prays in his prayers is for spiritual riches and spiritual strength. So somebody's going to look at this verse and say, well, does that mean John had a different tack on that? Not at all. I love this thought. You ready for it? He could pray that God would bless Gaius physically and materially because the spiritual was already being accomplished in his life. As a matter of fact, he could say, I'm going to pray that your health and your wealth matches the health and wealth of your soul. I don't know about you. That's deeply convicting to me. What if somebody right now prayed for you that your body was just as healthy as your soul is? What if somebody prayed that your bank account this year would do as well and your retirement account would do as well this year as your soul is doing right now? I must tell you, for me, my heart is smitten because all too often we start on the outside hoping it works its way in. And John said, Gaius has it right. It started on the inside and now it's working its way out in his life. I believe we can pray for physical health and healing. I believe we can pray for material blessing. I was just talking with a dear servant of the Lord in this room a few minutes ago about a health need and praying with him about a health need. I believe we can pray for those things, but we must always start with the health of the soul. If you want something interesting to read, read about John Wesley and his preachers. Wesley was quite a preacher himself, but perhaps the great secret to his ministry was that he trained preachers. I was just in Savannah, Georgia, preaching. Savannah is an amazing city. I think there's something like 29 squares in Savannah. In the middle of them, there's a fountain or a statue dedicated to someone, and one of them is Wesley Square. And there is a statue of John Wesley there and quotes by Wesley on the side of his memorial. And the irony of it is that Wesley's ministry in Savannah actually took place before he even got saved. He came to the new world and he preached for two years. I stood at the church where he preached, at least the same church, different building, but he preached for two years and it was on the ship going back to England that he met some Moravian missionaries who gave him the grace of God, told him the gospel, and he got gloriously saved. In his words, my heart was strangely warmed. I like that, don't you? But the interesting thing about Wesley is that he didn't just become a preacher himself. He trained other preachers, and he trained them to emphasize the health of the soul, so much so that many years after Wesley's time period, there were bands of Wesleyan preachers that would get together in fellowships, something like what we're doing right now, and this was their common greeting. Now, I've listened tonight, and I've observed even my own greeting to people. How you doing? How's your church doing? How's your family? Are the kids doing well? We all have our greetings, right? This was the greeting of the Wesleyan preachers. Are you ready? Hold on. How is it with your soul? Let me ask you a question. If I just walked up to you tonight and said, how is it with your soul? How would you even answer that question? You know, we, we, 
Westerners especially, we don't necessarily want to always reveal our emotion and, and deep reflection. So almost without exception, even if you're having the worst day of your life, how you doing? Pretty good. How you doing? All right. I'm making it. And we, we gloss over it so much that I wonder how often we even stop long enough to ask ourselves the question, hey, Scott, how is it with your soul today? I didn't say, how was the offering Sunday? How is it with the attendance at church? Everybody knows it was Labor Day Sunday, right? How is it with the membership? How are things going in the work? You see, we always go immediately. We make a beeline for what we can produce, and we neglect that which God alone must do in our souls. How is it with your soul? Let me give you some simple observations from this passage, all from the text, and then I'm going to give you some applications, some practical ones. Here we go. Number one, I want you to write down that here in 3 John, uh, one thing that I noted is that there is a prayer here. This is a prayer. Would you look at the verse? First glance doesn't look like it. It just sounds like a nice greeting. Beloved, I wish. We use the word wish a certain way. You know, I hope you're doing well. Uh, really hope you have a nice vacation almost like wishful thinking. But did you know that the word that is used in John, 3 John verse 2 for wish is the same word that is used elsewhere in the New Testament for prayer? That this wish, would you look this way just for a second? This wish is not this way, it is this way. It's more than saying, hey, buddy, God bless you, hope you do well. It is saying, oh, Lord, touch this man. It is a heavenward wish. By the way, isn't that what we all ought to do? That's where we ought to start. That's where the health of the soul begins. Now, we're going to come full circle back to that thought near the end of this rest conference, but your prayer life is your Christian life. Amen. And see, one of the great dangers for preachers is as long as we are preaching, we think we are doing well. But I want to say to you, if we are not praying, we are not doing well. It doesn't matter if everybody in the church thought it was a good sermon Sunday. It doesn't matter what anybody thought of the latest sermon series. If God who knows me doesn't look at my soul and know that I've been hungry after him and humbled in his presence, it always begins with a prayer. And notice that the prayer here is saying, I want the physical blessing and the material blessing upon you. I would point out he doesn't pray that for himself. He prays it for others. That's a good observation. You start bearing the needs of others, God will take care of your needs. But he prays it based on the spiritual reality that's already true in the man's life. Your desire is most reflected in your prayers. If you want to know what kind of Christian you are, stop listening to yourself preach and teach and listen to yourself pray. Because in nothing else is revealed a man's soul than his prayers. As a matter of fact, one thing that God's deeply convicted me of in my own prayer life is my selfishness. We pray, and 90% of the time we're praying for our needs. Did it ever dawn on you that John here does not say, Hey, Gaius, would you please pray for me? He's the elder. He's the old man. He's the old preacher. He's facing persecution. He's, he's going to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos. We don't know exactly when he wrote it. seems like he'd be saying, I need your prayers. But instead, he says, Gaius, I hear good things of you, and I'm praying for you. Number one, there's a prayer. Number two, there's a priority. 
God's priority must become our priority. I'm going to do something. I'm going to read. When I stop, I want you to say the next word and mark it in your Bible. Look in verse number two. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and circle the word be in verse number two. Now come down to verse number five. Beloved, thou what? Doest. Look at the end of verse six. Thou shalt what? Do. Well, let me ask you a question. Which comes first, being or doing? Being. And yet we place our emphasis most often on what we are doing. We think we had a good week if we got a lot done. Can I remind you, you are not a human doing, you are a human being. God made you that way to be in fellowship with the Creator, to be what God created you to be and to be what God saved you to be and to be in fellowship with Him and to be in step with the Spirit. Oh, this is wonderful. And if you'll just be what you ought to be, you'll do what you ought to do. But He doesn't begin with what Gaius does. He begins with what He is. Let me show you the priority again. Look again in verse number 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest... What's that word? Prosper. Now, when I say prosper, everybody in this room thinks money. I like what Adrian Rogers said years ago, to find out how rich you are, add up everything money cannot buy and death cannot take away. So the reality is spiritual riches are different than material riches. But he uses the word prosper, and he uses it again for the soul, prospereth. Do you know what the word prosper in 3 John verse 2 literally means? Write this down somewhere. It literally means to lead in a good way. I like that. To lead in a good way. And then this, to have a prosperous journey. He's literally saying, when I'm praying for your prosperity, I'm not just praying to get more money. Some of the most miserable people on earth have a lot of money. I'm praying, rather, that God will lead you along in a good way. Don't you know there's nothing more wonderful than when God leads you? When God makes the way straight before you, somebody in this room is praying for direction. you got decisions staring you in the face. You know what we ought to pray? We ought to pray tonight for the prosperity of your soul. And I'll tell you why. Stop asking for God to show you all the things and ask for God to show you himself. Because when your soul prospers, oh, let me tell you, God will show you the next step on the journey. As a matter of fact, the great thing about the journey is not the destination, it's the companionship. When we started this little podcast a few years ago, we started calling it Enjoying the Journey, and that was rooted in something I heard Curtis Hudson say when I was just a young preacher starting out. I heard him say one day, I know I'm going to enjoy the destination, but I think God wants me to enjoy the journey. We know heaven's going to be wonderful, but friends, there's joy along the journey when you're walking it with Jesus Christ. And let me show you. Remember, it's the priority. Come down to verse number 6 and notice his ministry. He said, they've borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their what? Oh, I love this thought. Watch. You know what Gaius was doing? He was leading others down the right path. He was, he was helping others take the next step on their journey. He was helping others go forward. But before he could do that, he had to make progress on the journey himself. You cannot lead others where you are not. And if our people are not maturing and growing and if their faith is not deepening, and if their love for souls is not becoming more and more all the time, it may very well be a reflection of the fact that there's some lack of that spiritual life in me. And so, instead of turning the magnifying glass on everybody else, maybe what I need to do is turn the microscope on myself, and look in the mirror of God's Word and say, Dear Lord, do I have my priorities right? Am I leading in a good journey? 
Here's the third one. Would you write it down? There's not only in this verse a prayer and a priority, there's a principle. And the principle revolves around the word health. You see the word health? The word health there means soundness or wholeness, to be complete in Christ. That's the idea. Now, certainly we're praying for physical health. One thing I'm learning at this, this stage in life at 43 is that health is one of the most precious and priceless things on earth. Isn't it funny how when you're very young, you don't even think about it? And then you get to a point where you do start thinking about it. I went for a regular doctor's visit a few weeks ago, a couple months ago now. The doctor said, well, everything looks pretty good. He said, but you do have some skin cancer here on your face. And many people have had that, and maybe many of you have had it to deal with. But it was the first time in my lifetime that anyone had ever used the word cancer and my name in the same breath. And I said, skin cancer? And he said, yeah. He said, I don't think it's anything too bad to worry about. He said, I'm going to take it off right here in the office. And he said, we'll check it out, and I'll let you know. He said, but I think it's just basal cell carcinoma. It's really no big deal. It's always no big deal when it's somebody else, you know. So he cut it off, and he called me a day or two later, and he said, I was right. He said, it's, it's not any kind of uh, malignant cancer. He said, you're fine. He said, but the problem is, he said, that I couldn't get all of it when I, you were in the office, so you're going to need to go to a specialist now, and he knows what he's doing, and that was encouraging to hear. He knows what he's doing, and he'll cut it out. So I went and sat in the dermatologist's office and looked at all of those elderly people sitting all around me with patches all over their faces and looked around and thought, what was going to become of me, you know? And they take you in the back, and they, they, they say, now, what we're going to do, we're going to cut this off, and then we're going to look at it under a microscope, see if we got it all. And if we didn't, then we're going to come right back in before we sew you up and cut more out. And if that's not enough, then we'll check it again. Then we'll come back and cut more out. And I said, this sounds like a lot of fun. That's great. So the doctor comes in the room, and I didn't know this, but he was training a young medical doctor that day. And when they're training, you know what they do. They talk through the whole thing. So he, he starts cutting on my face, and after he's been at it for a couple minutes, I heard him say to that young doctor, and he didn't even try to hide it or even mutter it under his breath. He just said, oh, this is much worse than I thought. We're going to have to cut more out, I think. And I'm thinking, man, stop talking about it and take it out. Just get it over with. And at that moment, I started reflecting on how precious health is. Well, may I say to you, if that's true physically, the health of your soul it's much more important because it's what's eternal. See, the body's going back to the dust of the ground. The Spirit's returning to God who gave it. I wonder, I really wonder if there's anything that needs to be cut out of our souls for us to be healthy in Jesus. And maybe the Holy Ghost tonight's doing spiritual surgery even at this moment. I don't have to tell you what it is. I don't know what it is, but God does. And maybe the Holy Spirit is saying at this moment, you know, this is pretty deep. We, we need to cut a little more out here, I think. Let the Lord be thorough with you. The principle is if you want a healthy soul, then you must say, Lord, whatever it takes for me to be whole and complete and sound in you. A sweet elderly woman in South Florida asked me a few weeks ago at the end of a meeting, she said, Preacher, I've been praying for a Holy Ghost revival. I like the way she said it, a Holy Ghost revival. And by the way, she was a Baptist too, if you're wondering. And I said, God bless you. She's up in her 80s. I said, God bless you. And she turned to walk away and she came back and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, what does that look like? That's a very good question. And I, I didn't have a pat answer to give her at that moment. 
As a matter of fact, the question really started just nagging at me. What does that look like? I mean, we all say we want revival, we want to move of the Holy Ghost, but if it happened, what would that look like? And one night, I was praying and just meditating on that very thought, and I think the Holy Spirit answered me. I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical. I believe it lines up with the truth of God's Word, but the Holy Spirit said to me, I'll tell you what that looks like. It looks like Jesus. When the Holy Spirit has his way and real revival comes, watch, here's what happens. God cuts out of us everything that doesn't look like Jesus and puts into us everything that does look like Jesus. See, because that's the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lift up and exalt Jesus Christ, that Christ be formed in you, that we be transformed into his image. That's what he's doing. That's what soul health looks like. Here's a fourth one. Would you write it down? There's a progression See, we can look at one verse, and that's good, but every text has a context, so read on. What's the rest of the story? In verse 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Look at verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth. How did John know that Gaius's soul was prospering? The brethren testified of it. May I say to you, the testimony that really matters is not always the one you give about yourself. It is the one others give about you. But now, wait a minute. You don't start in verse 3. You start in verse 2. You don't start by building an image so the brethren will say, oh, that's a great man. That's a godly man. That's a good man. No, you start by saying, oh, Lord, I want my soul to be healthy in you because, ready? Here's the progression. Whatever's on the inside eventually comes out. And when we see these terrific falls and terrible explosions it is simply evidence that somewhere the soul was not as healthy as perhaps it was perceived to be. Here's the fifth thing that I bring you to, and this is the, really the application. Would you write this down? There's a price. There's a price for health. And we all understand, physically speaking, that physical health is the gift of God. But on the other hand, you've got to cooperate with God. Would you agree with that? Your doctor would say amen right there. That there are certain things that you must do if you're going to stay healthy. Well, may I say to you that everything you see in the physical realm that God created is simply a mirror image of some spiritual truth, some greater, higher truth. And I want to tell you that spiritual soul health, with no doubt about it, is a gift of the grace of God and the Spirit of God working in you. But you've got to be willing to cooperate with the great physician. Go to the doctor's office, everybody. Come on, let's all go to the doctor's office tonight. And the doctor's going to say to you, no matter how healthy you are at this moment, it matters not how healthy you are at this moment, that there's three things you've got to do for good health. Somebody tell me one. What's one of them? Exercise. What's another? Eat right, your diet. And that includes drinking lots of water, right? So what you put in. What's the third one? Rest, sleep. Well, I want to say to you tonight, by way of application, that I believe if we're going to keep healthy souls... There are three things that we must do. There are three areas where we must be willing to pay the price if we're going to minister out of a healthy soul. Let's go through them in order. Number one, would you write this down? A healthy soul is a soul that is well fed on the Word of God. It begins with your diet, with what goes into you, not what comes out of you. 
I want you to turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 for just a moment because I want to show you that this theme and this emphasis is not restricted to one place in Scripture. It's woven all throughout. It's a recurring emphasis of the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Remember, we're in the pastoral epistles. We're dealing with ministers and ministry. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5 and says that all things are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now look at verse 6, 1 Timothy 4, 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Now pause just a moment. What is a mark of a good minister? Somebody said he preaches good sermons, he draws a crowd, he, you fill in the blank. But God says nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. How many of you want the people you preach and teach to grow? Would you raise your hand? You want them to grow? Then we must grow. And it begins with our own feeding on the Word of God. I was thinking about this earlier today. I, I was with a man recently, a preacher, who is such a happy Christian. He really is. He just, every time I get around him, he's just like bubbling over with the joy of Jesus. And it's not, it's not fake. It's not put on for anybody else. It's just he's happy in the Lord. And I've learned something by getting to know him. He reads a lot of Bible, a lot of Scripture. And I think there's something to this thing of the intake of the Word of God affecting the outgo of what comes out of a man's life. And look, think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah's what prophet? The what prophet? The weeping prophet. So I always had this mentality, poor old Jeremiah just walked around miserable all the time. Well, he did. He did weep. But Jeremiah testified and said, thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Did you know you can weep and rejoice at the same time? See, when you get God's heart, you burden for what he's burdened for, but you rejoice in what he rejoices in. And there is a joy and there is a strength and there is a health that grows out of being well-fed on the Word of God. I love F.B. Meyer. Somebody asked me the other day for one of my favorite authors, and I said to them, Meyer ministers to my soul, and he does. I picked up a book the other day that I'd never seen by F.B. Meyer, and I was reading in it, not for this meeting, but just for me. And I came to page 52 of that book, and I read these words. <laughs> Bankruptcy is the climax of months of bad trading. Rapid consumption brings to light the disease which had long been undermining the system. And then Meyer wrote these words, Keep in perfect soul health, robust and hearty, well-nourished by the Word of God and inspiring deep breaths of the heavenly air, and you need fear no sudden shock of disease. You don't want the disease on the other end? Then feed your soul every day. The hardest thing, let me just tell you, the hardest thing for me to do is not find a sermon. At this juncture, I can find sermons and I have sermons. The hardest thing sometimes for me to do is to lay everything else and everyone else aside and come to God not as a doctor but as a patient and say, great physician, I know there's things in me that need to be removed. I know there's things in me that are lacking. Would you please do that work in me by your word? You know what we miss sometimes? The depravity of our own hearts. While we're, while we're dealing with everybody else's sin, we miss our flesh, and the only thing that reveals it and the only thing that corrects it is the Word of God. I was in Australia preaching the other day, and I picked up a candy bar, not to look at but to eat, 
And I looked at the back of it, and I, I was just, it was striking to me. They do not use the word calories in Australia. They get this from, from British influence. They don't use the word calories. They use the word energy. And I thought, I like that word so much better. <laughs> I mean, in our country, we count calories. That sounds terrible. Over there, I need a little more energy. I need some energy, whatever that is. And yet, there, there's truth in that. Look, you came to this meeting. Everybody came to this meeting. You know what all of us need? We need energy. Whew, dear Lord, we need energy things to do and people to deal with and things to get done. How do you get all of that done? If you want the energy, it's connected to the diet of your soul. And a healthy soul always begins by being well-fed on the Word of God. Here's the second one. Would you write it down? A healthy soul is not only well-fed on the Word of God, a healthy soul is regularly exercised by obedience. <laughs> regularly. You don't get a, enough exercise once, one day a month to do you. There's got to be some repetition of it. Now, you're already in 1 Timothy, right? So just stay right there for a second. Let's just read on. Let's see if this is something we concocted or if it's actually God's emphasis. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. We're nourished up. That's the diet of our soul. And look at verse number 7. It refused profane and old wives' fables and, what's the next word? Exercise. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For, here's, here's most of our life verse, bodily exercise profiteth little. And all God's people said, amen. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What's he saying? Don't miss this. In verse 6, he's talking about what you feed on. But in verse 7 and 8, he's talking about the application of that truth to your life. It is personal obedience. It is practical application. It is definite obedience to what God is teaching you in his word that helps you stay healthy in your own soul. Let me just be very practical and open with you for a moment. I have learned for me personally that when I take a personal step of obedience in a certain area of my life, greater power attends the preaching of that truth when I share it with others. I could get up and say the same verse, the same truth, the same principle, but if I'm not currently applying that in my life, I don't know what it is, but something's lacking. And I won't tell you why, because you can't separate the message from the messenger. And if you want power upon what you're trying to share with others, then you must regularly exercise obedience in your own life. Let me prove this. Go to the book of Hebrews just a second. Very quickly, come to Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 5, you'll see the same principle of nurture and then exercise. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For when for the times you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So he begins with diet, what you, what you take in, the milk of the Word or the meat of the Word. But now, immediately, notice the divine progression. Verse 13, for everyone that what? Use it. You don't just drink it, you use it. Everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even those who by reason of use. You don't just eat the meat, you use the meat. By reason of use have their senses, what's the next word, please? Hmm. Exercised to discern both good and evil. So watch, please. There's a taking in and then there's a giving out. I was home the other day and I was mowing my grass. That's a good time for me to think. Any of you like to mow grass? God bless both of you. That's good. <laughs> it's quiet. 
I can act like I didn't hear the phone ring. It's wonderful. And I was riding along by myself, just, I was thinking, really just thinking, praying about my own life. And I got so convicted about something. I got so convicted that so many days I am more concerned about the fruit of my labors than the fruit of the Spirit. That I am more concerned about the response in a message or a meeting than I am, Lord, is your fruit being produced in me? Is there love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance? Do you know the hardest thing about being a preacher? Let me just tell you, the hardest thing about being a preacher is being a Christian. But if you can learn how to be a Christian, then you have something to feed others with and to pass along to someone else. It begins by regularly exercising yourself to obedience with God. And I'm just going to say this before we move on. When we first start thinking of ourselves more as pre preachers than we do as Christians, we've lost our identity. Someone says, I'm a preacher. You may be a preacher, but let me tell you who we really are. We're sinners. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be in hell or on our way there. And if it wasn't for Jesus' mercy, we'd all already fouled out of the ministry. Amen. We're sinners, and we're followers of Jesus, and we desperately need Him. He doesn't need us, but we desperately need Him. That's why the Apostle Paul didn't write and say, this work is my life. I hear preachers say that sometimes, that church is my life. Well, you're going to have a miserable life if that goes, ever goes away then. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones that said, preachers need to find something to rejoice in besides their own preaching. Because he said, someday you may not be able to open your mouth and preach, but you still have Jesus. So what did Paul say? Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. My life is not evangelism or this meeting. My life is Jesus. And I must never forget that identity. Here's the third one. Number one, healthy soul is well-fed on God's Word. Number two, a healthy soul is regularly exercised by obedience. And number three, a healthy soul is consistently resting in faith. You're in Hebrews already, so just turn back one page, would you? Look at Hebrews chapter 4, this great faith chapter and admonition. And repeatedly the word rest is connected to it. He says in Hebrews 4 verse 9, "...there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God." For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works. Does that mean we're not working for the Lord? No. But it means that you're no longer resting on what you can get done. You're resting on what he can do. As God did from his, verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, Hebrews 4, verse 11, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. The rest is always connected to faith. It's not resting after the labor. It's resting in it. Are you anxious tonight? Are you worked up about something? I'm not talking at you. I get worked up about things. I get so agitated. And by the way, I'll tell you who can tell you that and say amen. That'd be my wife. If you want to know what kind of Christian a man is, don't listen to him preach. Talk to his spouse. It's just true of all of us. And I can get so worked up and tensed up about things and aggravated about something and spout off about something. And it's at that moment that I got to choose whether I'm going to live in unbelief or live in faith. Because you can say you have faith, but to exercise faith is something totally different. You must learn to rest in the Lord, to give that to God, and let Him take care of it. Amen. We all get spent. 
I haven't said anything about this publicly, but a few weeks ago, I hit a wall. Let's take a survey. Anybody ever hit a wall? I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, just hit a wall. We'd been out of the country. We'd come back. I'd gone to a camp and to a revival and to a youth conference, and, you know, you want to be fresh everywhere and at your best, and you just hit a wall. I finished preaching on a Friday night. I lost my voice. People were trying to talk to me after church. I couldn't get my thoughts straight. Mind was just cloudy. I was having a hard time. I was by myself on the road. I got up early the next morning. I could barely speak. Went to the airport. Saturday morning, I'm supposed to start a revival meeting in Ohio Sunday morning. I sent a text message to the pastor I was supposed to be with. He's a graduate of our college and young man I've known for a long time, hadn't been with. And I said to him, I'm so sorry to ask this. I never do this, but would you permit me to start on Sunday night instead of Sunday morning? And I said, I think that'll give me time to get my voice back. And honestly, I just was, I was miserable. You ever been there? He was very gracious. He immediately sent a message back. That's no problem. We'll take care of Sunday morning. I can't wait to see you Sunday night. We're praying for you. That didn't make me feel much better, but it gave me a little reprieve. I got on the plane, took off from Florida, landed in Charlotte. I'm changing planes. I'm walking through the concourse, and my phone buzzes, and I look at it, and it's him, and he's texting me, can you call me? And you know, immediately my thought was, I know what he's going to do. He's going to fuss at me for not being there Sunday morning. I really did. I thought, you know, he's just going to give me a hard time. We've promoted this meeting, and now you're not coming. I can't believe I'm so disappointed. So I reached out to him, and he said to me, I had told him nothing. We hadn't even talked by phone. We'd only texted. And he said to me, he said, I was praying for you a few minutes ago. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And I expected him to say, I was praying, God, give us a great meeting. And he said to me, in the midst of my prayer for you, the Holy Spirit said to me, that man needs a little rest. And he said to me, as a young pastor, he said to me, would it help you to have a couple days off the road at home? I wanted to jump up and down and say, hallelujah. And I said to him, well, well I need to get a little rest at some point, but I'm not going to mess your meeting up. And he said to me, he said, I've never done this before. And he said, I have no idea what's prompted me to say it except for God. He said, but I think you're supposed to stay home and get your own soul refreshed for the next meeting. And he says, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. He said, but we're going to work it out on this end, and I don't want you to feel badly about it at all. He said, because, and this is exactly what he said. He said, there's no way you can be fresh for all these meetings that you've got ahead of you if you don't get your own soul refreshed. I'm going to tell you, he helped me. He helped my soul, not just my body. He helped my soul. And it reminded me. That it doesn't matter how hard you think you can go or how indispensable you are somewhere. If you don't keep your soul healthy, you got nothing to pass on to other people. Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul. Aren't you glad for that? Could I remind you that even the shepherds are sheep? And even the shepherds need the good shepherd. And every last one of us need the Lord. I've been reading a book. I'd recommend it to you. The man's not exactly where I am on some things and says a few things that I may not necessarily agree with, but it's good. The title of the book is called Replenish. If you want to see it, I'd be glad to show it to you. Some of you may have already read it. It's, it's good. I was reading today in it, and I came to this page, and I was reminded of something. 
Jonathan Edwards, the famous 18th century preacher, as a young man wrote 70 resolutions that he was going to say would guide his life. That was interesting, 70 of them. Then he read them regularly and prayed over them. That's pretty serious business. But one of those resolutions, I've read those resolutions before. I have a copy of them somewhere. I wrote an article about some of them one time, but I missed this one. I just missed this one. He said, resolved, whenever I do any conspicuously evil action, to trace it back till I come to the original cause. You know what he's saying? He's saying sometimes what we're doing is dealing with the symptoms without getting to the root. And one mark of the New Testament believers is they took examination of themselves. And I wonder sometimes if we don't just need to come into God's x-ray room and say, all right, great physician, turn your light on me now. I, I know I'm not going to like this. I know it's going to be painful. But I want my soul to be healthy so then I can minister out of a healthy soul. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2020 is scheduled for September 7th through 9th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to join us. For more information about REST, go to our website, therestconference.com.